Welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. Today's show, as always, is sponsored by MyPillow.com and the great Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell's having a lot of problems right now trying to get into Canada. I mean, you wouldn't think, right, in today's world that people that are in the need of help and Mike Lindell is on his way there to do so that he wouldn't be allowed to. But that being said, this is another reason why we need to support a man like this and support MyPillow.com. Right now they have... Great specials. They have slippers, 50% off. Overstock items, 60% off. The Giza sheets, which I have and I absolutely love, right now, as low as $39.99. It's not just slippers, not just pillows. There's over 600 items from MyPillow.com. We have the robes, the down comforters, the pajamas. But you don't get the discount if you do not punch in or type in promo code T. J-C-S. All right, enough of MyPillow.com, enough of all of that. Let's get into the show. We have a great guest. Her name is Gianna Weber. She worked at the ICU unit over at Stony Brook Hospital right here on Long Island during the entire pandemic. Okay, right in the beginning of its infancy in March of 2020, up until the day she got fired for not taking the COVID vaccine. She has a phenomenal story. She has a lot of inside stories that people like yourself and myself do not know. So with that being said, let's start the show. All right, welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. We have lots to talk about. I got something going. I got something cooking here. This is the big leagues. It's New York. I said I was in the worst neighborhood, man. I said I had a near-death experience. Crazy? Robert, if you've been through what I've been through in the past month, you'd be, you'd be crazy too. All right. Gianna Weber, we're back again. Yes. Doing it a second time here. A little couple of technical difficulties, but we're here. Yes. You know, right while right after the technical difficulties, we I mentioned my pillow. Yes. And you were like, can you believe Mike Lindell is not allowed into Canada? I know. Can you really believe it though? I mean, isn't the it the way crazy? the world is right now? Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah, it's just one thing after another. And I was saying to you, I was like, this is not the America that I knew. It's not the America that I grew up in. And I know that's Canada, but, you know, usually Canada is yeah. very synonymous to America and their values and what we're doing. It's, uh, you know, our closest partner, I yeah. would assume, right? One would assume, but. And they're not allowing this guy to go give pillows yeah. to people that are sitting out there in freezing cold weather. And just trying to help them. They said, no, you can't do that. Like, what would be the purpose? But yet, yet, if this was Black Lives Matter. Oh, forget it. And George Floyd, and they were protesting up there, and Black Lives Matter wanted to go give clubs and whatever it is. And Those brick drop-offs. Yeah, brick drop-offs, all that stuff. Yeah, come on in. Yeah. Open up. Open sesame. So anyway, I know, it's just something that carried over that I still wanted to talk to you about. So tell us a little bit about yourself for people that don't know who you are. So my name is Gianna Weber. Uh, I'm a registered nurse. Uh, let's see, I was a nursing assistant all throughout uh, my nursing school uh, at St. Catherine's Hospital. And then I was a telemetry nurse there for about a year. And then in uh, 2014, I moved over to Stony Brook Hospital and I worked in the cardiothoracic ICU there. So one of the things that I ask people that are nurses or they do physical therapy, whatever it is that they do when they go to medical school for whatever yeah. type of medical school, was there ever a time that you said, okay, I'm gonna go into this, right? And this is gonna take a certain amount of time out of my life. I have to study, I have to go past the, the board, the exams. Why not do the whole thing and be a doctor? 
Did you ever think of that, like go all the way in and be a doctor, or was it like that was not even a question to you? No, that wasn't a question for me. Why? Well, A, the amount of years you have to put into that schooling, and there's just something about being a nurse where you're not the doctors, and I have respect for them where they're making diagnoses and whatnot, but as a nurse, you're there with the patient and you're treating the whole patient. Body, mind, soul, spirit, you're with their family, and it's uh, nursing is an art and a science, and that's what I wanted to do. What do you mean by that, art and a science? Can you elaborate on that? Well, you need the clinical aspect, obviously, of like, you know, you're reading all the monitors and you're interpreting uh, what's going on with the patient. You're kind of seeing the precursors of which way they're going to go. But then it's also an art because sometimes you're just with a patient and you have this inner soul, this gut feeling like something's going to go down. And uh, that's that's what I wanted to practice. And sometimes you can see it better because you're with the patient those 12 and a half hours a day. The doctor walks in, he does surgery, and he walks out, or he's seeing the patient for five, 10 minutes at a clip. I'm with them enough where I know when something's going on. So I, you know, I, I'm an attorney, and in my practice, I do criminal law. Okay. But why I can't stand it to the point now that it's you know, almost 20 years that I've been doing it is because it's always negative. It's all negative. It's always them coming in, telling me their story, that you know some negative type of thing, and then you know you t- you try not to take it home with you, but you're around it all of the time, right? And it, and it starts to wear on me. I could just imagine being a nurse and having to deal now. Of course, there's some positives, of course, and it would be positives if, as an attorney, you get the guy off, you do whatever, or the girl off, whatever it may be, yeah. but there's a lot of negative. Yeah. It's all, you know, especially if they're coming to my office, something bad happened. You're seeing people at the worst point of their lives. Yes. Yeah. You, though, you're seeing even worse of their life. How do you deal with that? How do you, do you take it home with you? Do you get a connection with a certain patient and the next thing you know, you're praying and you're, you're there and you want to make sure that they're better, but even though you know that doom is coming how do you deal with all of that it's a lot uh you have to learn how to compartmentalize uh a lot of it is learning that sometimes you can't save everyone and there is times where i do connect with a patient a little bit more than others um sometimes you have to go in there and you just have to say like this is this is a machine i have to run for 12 and a half hours and i know that sounds horrible and cold but it's a it's a protection mechanism and uh it, it got rough, especially during COVID. There was, especially with one patient, you know, our stories are so intertwined that that, that will stay with me until I take my last breath. When, when you first started, and I want to, we'll get into all of that with the whole COVID yeah. and everything. What was, you know, what was the story that maybe you can tell us or a patient that you had in the beginning that you thought, oh, I'm going to save everyone or I'm going to do this, but it turned out for the worse and then it made you realize, hey, Gianna, you're not God. You don't you don't have control of everything and you maybe can't get too attached to these people because of what just happened. Is there a story that you can maybe tell us about that? It was my very first night shift at St. Catherine's off orientation. So it's my 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 big girl pants are on and I'm getting my first admission from the ER. I'm all excited. And uh the transporter brings up this patient and they slide him into the bed and I'm looking at him and I'm like, he's He's gray. He's not breathing. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, you, you brought me up like a, a dead patient. And so we start doing CPR. We get him back. Um, 
and he had a, an anoxic brain injury at that point. Um, but he still had a pulse. He still was breathing he, um, and whatnot. And the family eventually uh, put him on palliative care and whatnot. But that was- What does that mean? Um, you make the patient as comfortable as possible, um, knowing that this- um, So like was, hospice kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, they didn't escalate care. They didn't put him on um, like medications to keep his um, blood pressure up or anything like that. They just kept him comfortable. And he passed a couple of days later, but that was like my first admission ever as a nurse. And I'm like, oh my God. This is what I'm gonna be dealing this with, is, death. This is it. And uh, I didn't really see a lot at St. Catherine's uh, on the floor I was on because it was telly, it was a step down unit. It was people that were post um, What's telly mean? Te- they have like the cardiac monitor on. So, okay. and St. Catharines, it's a smaller community hospital, so it's a lot of nursing home patients. On we, Long Island. Yeah. Um, so usually it's a lot of nursing home patients, and they have like a heart failure um, exacerbation or a pneumonia or something like that. Um, so they would come in and go out pretty quickly. But working in the cardiothoracic ICU, you have patients where yeah, they had open heart surgery, and usually. You know, especially in the beginning of my time there, they were in and out pretty quick. But when things go wrong, things went wrong. Like what? <sighs> um, what do you mean when things go like that? If there's a, a yeah, if there's a complication, um, sometimes you know they would have a stroke post-op, or um, they would their incision would dehiss or open up, or they would go into arrhythmia after heart surgery. I mean, there's times on that unit we had the ability to do an open chest code. So you have your incision down your midline um, and the doc would come in and just reopen that and it would we would have the capability to turn the patient's room into like a mini OR and you know. Man. How is that like, you know, are you there and you see the chest open? Yeah. How, you know, I, I can't watch that at all. That's one of the reasons why there was no way from an infant to when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, whatever it may be. The medical profession was out because I can't stand the sight of that. I can't look at inside the body. You know, when you would see the, you know, a telescope that goes through, what was that? I guess whatever it was that we know about how life was created that you watch in like in 10th grade, that show, what was it? Um, a Miracle Life or something? I was pulled out of health class when I was younger. You were? Oh yeah. But I, whatever it was, I couldn't watch it. Yeah. I can't stand blood. I can't when they incision, when they do the incision and they open up and you see I all the arteries. I love that stuff. The only times I've ever passed out in a nursing school was the OBGYN rotation, seeing childbirth. You couldn't do that? I passed out cold. Really? Like, out. Because you know you see these you see these surgeries you see these other procedures and you're like oh you know that that probably won't happen to me but if I want kids like there's a hundred percent chance that's going to happen to me and that does not look like the miracle of life to me no. like, yeah, yeah I understand that's what you're scary saying. yeah yeah no I understand well, tell us about though what it looks like when you open up your chest do you sit there and say to yourself well that's a miracle well how that is designed like how everything is put together how one artery could save your whole life, you know, one's connected to this, to that, to that. Is there something, you know? When you, when you take a step back, yes. But in the moment, you're like, try not to curse. No, you can curse, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want. I'm trying to be a little ladylike here. But you know, in the moment you're like, fuck, we need to get them back. Like, I don't I don't care about what, what this looks like right now. Like the doc is telling you they need certain tools and whatnot and you're passing it over from the 
the uh, the open chest card and stuff like that. So, is there a time too that you sit there and say because there's a certain doctor or whatever, maybe you have your favorite, maybe you know one doctor is better than the other that you say, oh man, this is going to be. Thank God we got this doctor yes. here, as opposed to oh man, yeah, Doctor Death is here. Say whatever you know, and because you see the stories, you see the documentaries, you see how yeah. people are when they get. You Usually know. the ones that, you know, and I'm not speaking on, on all doctors, but generally speaking, the ones that have, like, really, really, really good bedside manner and, like, the patients love, they they can document great and everything like that. But in practice, you're like, mm, I don't know if I'd let you cut the crusts off my sandwich. Like, Oh, really? Yeah. You see that happening. I would rather a doctor be a little bit of a dick and do their job right than, like, coddle me. And it's I, the same thing with nursing too. Like sometimes I, you know, I'm I have a very gruff personality, but I'd rather keep you safe than be smiling and having a great personality, like zipping up your body bag. Like, do you have, do you ever have a conversation with the patients? You know, before operate, you know, before they have surgery, that they know that they may not make it, that they sit there and you know and. and you, you know, you're, you're prepping them, you're getting them together and they have maybe a conversation with you, a human to human conversation and say, hey, listen, I know that the things don't look good for me and I may die. I mean, has that ever happened? Do you ever have those type of patients that you have to talk to like that? Sometimes there's, you know, we would get a patient in and it would be before surgery. Usually we get them after surgery, but you know, sometimes if they needed to come to us, they needed an ICU before their surgery, uh, they would come to us. And you know, the doc comes in and asks for them to sign the consent and or the residents uh, usually, they're, and they're in and out in like two minutes. And I'd always be like, do you understand what they said? Like, you want to go through this? And I'll explain it to them from my point of view of like what things are, because of course the docs are like, oh, you know, you're going to be in and out in like two days and, and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, no, sometimes like these things, complications happen. Like my, uh, my pop-up. He had a cardiac cath. They're routine procedures. Usually you're in and out in the day and whatever. And uh, he had a massive stroke during his cardiac cath. They tried to pass his uh, sheath. Uh, I think it was on the seventh time they switched from a plastic to a metal catheter and dislodged a clot. And he had a massive stroke. And he was wheel uh, wheelchair bound for, for the rest of his life. Oh, that sucks. Oh. I, I'm sorry to hear that. And he was he was so healthy. He was active. You know, he was a big Sicilian man. But, but now know. nothing. But now well, he's passed now from COVID. Well, okay. uh, really? We'll, we'll get into that story because, again, that's the intertwined story with that one well, patient well, well, let's stuff talk. like so, that. So, so here you are, though. So you're, you're a nurse. Yeah. You get, what school did you go to? Malloy. Malloy. Okay. So, you, so you're a nurse. Nurse make good money. You have good hours. You know, some some would say. Right? What is it? Two days on, two days off, sometimes, or something. I mean, if the the planets aligned and whatnot, uh, usually Stony Brook, but their um, their scheduling was a little different. But it was usually like three or four days on. Um, but it was you could be on three off one on three yeah. type thing. But you know, here you are. So let's just go before COVID, right? Yeah. Let's just say so. This is of maybe around December of two thousand and nineteen, yeah. right? You're thirty years old, twenty nine years old. Right at the time, yeah, something, 30. yeah, thirty. A nurse making good money, living on Long Island, mm -hmm. thinking maybe if you're buying a house, whatever it is, but you have security, right? You have a great job. You're doing what you love. My job was the one thing I was sure and set, and like that was my thing. I loved working. I loved doing overtime. Like that was 
that was it for me. And you have a paycheck that's coming in. You know exactly how to budget your money. You know everything you're doing. Yeah, it's great. I mean, a majority of it's going back to my student loans, but like nonetheless, like I have I have money where I can go like shopping at Target like once a month, and it's, yeah. you know life is great. Life is great. And yeah. if you want to move, say say you know what I don't really like the the weather here in New York. Yeah, you can go right down to Florida, mm-hmm. go to California. You can do whatever you want with the nursing license. It's one of the best things that you could possibly do, in the sense of security. Yes. in my opinion. Yeah, right. I, as me as an attorney, if I want to go down to Florida, I have to redo everything again. Yeah. You don't have to do something like that. So tell us about right before COVID hits, you start hearing some things. Like, and, and when I mean hit, I mean comes down hard. Where were you working at the time? I was still in the cardiothoracic ICU. Um, and this is at St. Catharines? No, this is at Stony Brook. So Sto- now you're at Stony Brook. Yeah, I've been at Stony Brook since uh, 2014. Okay, so February twenty eighth, twenty fourteen is when I got hired there. So you're there for almost five, six years. Mm-hmm. You have a routine. Yeah, I know. was I was working nights, and then in twenty seventeen, twenty seventeen, I got a day position, and that just like rocked my world. Like I can have a normal life. I can sleep at night like a normal person again. Like, you have a relationship with it, someone that has the same schedule instead of being off. It's yeah, it was. The quality of life changed so dramatically from that because, at t- especially towards the end, like I was not sleeping. I mean, I was doing nights all through nursing school. I was working full time nights. I would get off at like seven seven thirty in the morning. I'd have enough time to run home, change, and then drive from Smithtown to Rockville Center, sit in school all day until I got home at like five o'clock. Because of course, my class was done right before rush hour traffic, and I could nap for two hours, and then I'd go to work. So you're heavily invested. Oh, Your yeah. life yeah. was all about all nursing. Yeah. All in. You're doing whatever you can, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing on the news, right? You got Donald Trump saying, hey, we're going to shut down the travel ban from China. What was going on at the hospital at the time? What was the vibe when you started hearing this? Was it something like, hey, this could be serious? Or is it like the swine flu from two or three years ago or whatever, H1N1? Yeah, H1N1. Like, you know, it was like, oh, it'll pass. It's probably not going to come here. I think we were all hoping like, oh, this is going to pass. And, you know, oh, this is just like, um, I immediately thought like, this is political. They're making a big deal out of nothing. Like, you know, one of the women I did work with, she's from China. Her husband is still in China. And, um, you know, I would talk to her and she was like, mm, I don't I don't know about this. And I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, really? Yeah. So she was probably getting some type of intel from her husband. Like, hey, yeah. listen, they're locking things down here. Things are starting in. But then again, you still look at it like that's China. Yeah. Right. This it's is so America. Far away. Yeah. There's, and they do, they, they do crazy things anyway. Yeah. You know, this is nothing new what yeah. they're doing here. So this is America and we don't really, we yeah. don't do things like that. Yeah. You know, who would think? Yeah. But um, so I, it was kind of like in the back of my head, but not really at the forefront. And again, working ICU for that many years, you kind of get burnt out. So at that point, I applied for a job in trauma registry, which was totally different from cardiothoracic, which is what I've done my whole life. And, uh, it, well, give me the difference. What's the difference? Like, well, why would you want to do that? Like, it, since I'm not in the medical profession, yeah. what would be the benefit for you to want to do that? Well, I thought, I thought at that time, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll go back to school and get my master's, and it would be easier for like a nine to five gig. 
where I have the weekends off and, you know, I don't have to work these, you know, different shifts and stuff like that. And it's no weekends. It's no holidays. That's what the master's degree does for a nurse. Um, it can. But like trauma registry was just a desk job still with my bachelor's degree. OK. Um, with a nursing. It was uh, abstracting charts and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, that would be that'd be a good gig. You know, I'd like to be home for Christmas for once, you know, or not be like, oh, you know, it's I got to go home and nap before work and stuff like that. You know, I never had a full holiday off since ever. Yeah, I understand. And you want a regular life. You want yeah. to. Yeah. Why not? You sacrifice another two years of going to school. And next thing you know, away we go. Exactly. You know, I could go back to my MP and stuff like that. And, you know, could have real autonomy over my profession. Um, so I applied for the trauma registry position and I got it. I was like super stoked. And then, uh, and what, what was this around? What like what month or? Uh, my last day in CTICU was supposed to be March thirteenth, and two hours into that shift, my manager calls me into the office and says, "This COVID thing is real. We're keeping you. We're holding you in this position because we're going to need all hands on staff. My unit that was supposed to be for just open heart surgery, recovering patients afterwards." was getting converted into a COVID ICU. So just think about that for yeah. a second, right? So people, it's not like all of a sudden, nobody, like how the flu disappeared, yeah. right? People still have heart problems. Yeah. People still need heart surgery. Yeah. And now with COVID, you're basically taking that away from them and saying, no, 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 that's gonna have to wait. Whatever you have, if you have some heart condition, I'm sure if it was an emergency, somebody's having if a heart they, attack. If it was emergent, they would do it, but, um, but I mean, whatever operation that you may thought you were about to have is probably going to get postponed now when you're converting the unit to yeah. something else. We did have like we had a handful of COVID patients throughout the hospital at that point. Um, we did have one on my unit and uh, they gave that assignment to a nurse that she was a mother. She's a mother of three or four kids, one of who is, um, who is severely disabled. And, you know, we, we're hearing about COVID and we're like, oh, my God, people are dying from this. This is highly contagious. And, you know, she was freaking out. She's like, I don't want to go in this room. I don't want to bring this home to my kids. And no one else was, like, <laughs> volunteering to take the patient. And I'm like, I'm single. I live alone. Like, I begrudgingly took the patient from her. I'm like, because I can't, I couldn't in my conscience be like, what if she catches this and takes this home to her kid? So I- That's a real nurse. That's- That's a real compassionate human being. Not too many people would do that. Nobody, you know, I'm single. I'll risk my life instead of this lady who has children who's gonna risk her life and then those children are gonna grow up motherless. Yeah. Let me go in there. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, let's let's call a spade a spade here. It's well, it would be the same thing as if my mom was still practicing nursing and, you know, the same thing happened. I would want someone to protect my mom because she is responsible for my brother, who's also disabled, you know, and I don't want I, I wouldn't want the way I practice is I treat I try to treat everyone as if they were my family and I would want someone to do what they would do for my family or their family. What what time frame are we at now when they, when you make this decision to take over this patient? It was the beginning of March. So beginning of March. Beginning so, of March. So that's really right, you know, March is really when everything started coming down. March is when shit hit the fan. Yeah, so here you are. What do you know about COVID at that time? Do you know, hey, listen, it's a, it's a respiratory thing. Do you think, do you think, let, let, let me ask you this. 
Do you think at that time, and I'm not asking you if you're a conspiracy theorist or not, but do you do you do some research beforehand and say this might have been created in a lab and maybe it's a lot more dangerous or maybe we really don't know anything about it? Like, were you doing any deep dive digging? Oh, or yeah. You, you were? Yeah. I I don't trust easily with that type of stuff. And it was just, it didn't seem real that this came from like, what were they saying, a bat? Like a bad bat in a... a in a cave? In a market or something yeah, like a cave, that. Yeah, in a market, a wet market. Yeah, that just, it's it smells weird to me. And if, When you say that you don't trust easily, yeah, where, what context are you putting that in? Are you putting that in the professional context or are you putting that in the Everything. government? Everything. Everything. If you can tell me the sky is blue, I'm going to tell you, fuck you. I need to go outside and see it myself. Okay. And why do you think that that you as a person, Gianna Weber, has that type of personality? What, what makes you – what have you – is it things that you've seen in the past that you think that, hey, listen, I'm not really into this or I've been lied to in the past, whether it was growing up lied to, whether it was you know, in your profession, you see how people and things are – you know, get told a patient one thing but really yeah. something else? Mm-hmm. I would, I would say professionally, I've seen it. Um, like there was one time in uh, in my unit, there was a patient that had uh, a AAA repair or an aneurysm repair. Uh, so again, incision in the belly. And he was Spanish, did not speak a lick of English, nor did his family. And they did the repair. And I got him right after surgery, and he was doing good. I was getting ready to get the breathing tube out of him and all that stuff. And then he started crapping out. His, like, blood pressure was dropping, and he spiked a temperature. And I'm like, something's going on. And, the you know, I'm telling the doc this. And he's like, oh, maybe it's because you didn't suction the patient sterilely. Maybe he has pneumonia. I'm like, you don't get pneumonia in, like, two hours. Something's not right. So kept badgering. Finally, went. we went for a... Uh, a CAT scan of the belly to see what was going on. And I'll never forget the PA that was covering our unit that day. He pulls up the CAT scan. And I'm like, what, you know, like, is it anything? Like, what's going on? And you just see the head tilt. And he's like, come over here. He's like, you see that? And he points to it and he's like, that's an OR towel. Oh, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say sponge too, something like that. I figured that as an attorney, I, I figured yeah. that's where you were going with it. Yeah. So somebody closed him up. Yep. And he had a foreign substance still in the. How does what's the protocol for that? I would think. So the most interesting thing is an OR towel. It, it's not part of the count before you close a patient because an OR towel should never be inside of a patient. Right. So makes no sense. What is a towel? Why? Why would you even put a towel there? So more blood can't spill somewhere else. I don't even understand that. I'm just a nurse. Um, I don't know. So, and I'm not asking you to say any names or anything like that, yeah. but the doctor that told you that it probably is pneumonia, mm-hmm. is that the doctor that is responsible or did the surgery that had that he, towel in there? Yeah, he was he was the attending on there. I don't, uh, I think a, a, a resident may have left it in, you know, because they do, docs do their surgery and let the residents close. So, um, but nonetheless, so the towel's in there. And he goes to tell the family um, there was something in surgery that his body didn't agree with. So we have to take him back to surgery. Are you fucking kidding me? And I'm looking and I'm looking at my manager and he walks away and I'm like, if he doesn't say exactly what went on, like I'm calling ethics board right now. Like this is disgusting. 
I can't believe that that doctor is actually sitting there saying that we're going to try to get away with this to avoid a lawsuit and avoid him, <laughs> whatever it is doing to happen in the you know uh, in the board review or whatever it is that's yeah. going you know disciplinary action that may ensue. Yeah. So what what was the end result of that? Uh, patient uh, went back for surgery, got out. I think. Did I, they tell the parents? They, they tell the family that they, hey, listen, you yeah. know we fucked up. Uh, eventually. Eventually, that's some lawsuit too. Probably, I, I would assume. When would it? Uh, I don't. I don't know if it ever got to a lawsuit. I don't think it did. Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So right there, you know, it's crazy because you don't. You know, you go to the hospital and you think that everybody's on the same page and you think everything okay. I'm because you you go there totally trusting. Yeah. I am. I'm going to be out. Yeah. I have no control. I can't monitor. Hey, is everything out? Is everything good? And you would think that everything is going to be okay, and then. You hear a story like this, and again, people, everybody's human. Yeah, you make mistakes. People make mistakes. Attorneys make mistakes. Absolutely. Cops make mistakes. UPS drivers make mistakes delivering the wrong path. It happens. Yeah. But when you're dealing it with on this level, yeah, life, it's a, it's a whole different ball game here. So again, yeah. So I can see what you mean by that. Yeah. By not trusting and seeing what you're doing, and then to have the stones to say it's something that I did. Which caused that in the beginning too. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no, I don't, I don't suction unsterily. Like, don't like, don't yeah. cross me on that one. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. So, so now, so talk to me now. Let's go back to March. Okay. Right? And you want to take over this patient? Yeah. Right. What is it that you're doing? So what what what's the what's the protocol? Do you tell talk to your parents? Your parents still alive? Yes. Do you say, hey, listen. You know, uh, I just want to let you know that I'm going to volunteer and do this. Is it that serious yet for, you know, with COVID or is it still like it's a risk, but I really don't know too much about it. And I'm not I don't have to make an announcement that I might go in and die. I I told my mom, I don't, I don't know if I texted her before or after my shift or whatever, but I let her know. And then it's like, all right, I'm <laughs> I don't know how this is going to play out. Like I, I, have, I live alone, so I'll just isolate. And maybe maybe this is going to pass. So that's uh, that's what that was. <laughs> okay, so talk to me about though going in. Like, what was it? Were you nervous? Of course. And what was the patient there for? Was there an underlying condition or was it just strictly COVID? How did that work out when they first started bringing patients in? Did everybody think that there was just all COVID patients? What was it? Uh, well, again, my unit, again, was open heart surgery. So something... He was exhibiting something with like respiratory issues, and they were, they were thinking it was COVID, and it was. Um, so, uh, I you don't remember what I was don't the underlying remember condition. The, I don't remember. I just remember taking the bullet for another nurse with that. I, there's so many patients at that thereafter that. What do you mean? So, of, so what do you mean by that? So you have this one patient. So, this so that is was one, the first one. So it's the first patient, yeah. right? So everything is okay. We, of course, now we're at that point. Yeah. It went from it's never going to come over from China. Yeah. To now, there's all like of a one or two we in have the hospital. One. There's a handful. It's not going to spread. We're doing. We got the donning and doffing stations at that point, and um, those air, special areas where you put your protective gear on and off, and um, <laughs> those went right out the door during COVID. Uh, 
the peak of COVID. What do you mean out the door? So it went from you have to wear all this protective. You have the you have the protective gear, but you have an area where you the donning station uh, where you go to put on your. It's almost like going in like the spacesuits that you yeah. see. You got to get sterilized. You got to put sure. your the gown on the, and the one the N95 on and then the other surgical mask above it and all that stuff. And that was the donning station. And then you go in to see the patient. And then when you leave that room, there's a doffing station where you're supposed to then properly take off all of your equipment in a specific order. And uh, yeah, that that stayed like that for a couple of weeks maybe. But and then what happened? But the whole unit was COVID. There was so there was no dawning or no. or anything like that. It no. was you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. You're, I got, I just, I was just in front of like fifty COVID patients. Now I'm in front you're of you're wearing a, the same N95 mask for days, weeks. About a clip, they're telling you to reuse the same isolation gown. You have a second to go pee and shove something in your mouth to eat. Your mask is on the table that you're eating your food on. Like, you know, and we didn't think like that at that moment because you're just like I need to eat something it's been 10 hours I haven't peed I'm my stomach is eating itself like let me just throw the mask down I'm just gonna inhale something and I'm back out the door what was the day or if you could recall right so you have this one let's just go back here so you have this one patient or two patients that have come in do you remember all of a sudden going to work or getting a text from maybe one of your colleagues at work or something saying hey Shit is hectic here. Wait until you see what's going on. Or did it just happen like, you know, gradually? Like, it seems to me that it was. You blinked and all of a sudden everyone was COVID. I remember my manager at the time, she called everyone. So in. And this is Stony Brook Hospital. Stony Brook Hospital. So CTICU was originally years ago in level four. We were our own little like uh, 15 bed unit. And then they built this new building in the cancer center and they moved the ICUs over there or most of the ICUs over there. So we went from level four to, it was level seven west. And we were also then on the same unit as our step down unit. So it was one big unit together of like, I think it was like 30 something beds, but 14 of those were ICU. So my manager calls everyone, the step-down nurses and the ICU nurses together. And she's like, all right, we're going to have a meeting. We're getting converted to a COVID unit, COVID ICU mostly. And um, she's telling the step-down nurses, like, you're going to have to learn how to work ventilators now. That's not in their scope of practice. So she was going to have them follow some of the ICU nurses to kind of just learn how to work the ventilators and work with a vent patient and work with these higher level um, medications um, for blood pressure and stuff like that. And then they're saying, well, those rooms are single occupancy. And she's like, if things get really bad, like we're gonna, we're gonna put two beds in the room. So now you have two COVID patients. In the same room. In the same room. That was the, that was the plan at that point. Meanwhile, <laughs> the monitors, it's, we're all monitored, like a, a telemetry, cardiac monitors. They're, we only have the equipment for one patient per room so we're thinking like what what are we doing like we can't how are we going to be able to monitor two patients when we only have one monitor exactly so then like, how you can't they... share an ekg like yeah. that's not you, how it works how do you how did you do that then it's luckily we never got to the point where we had to double up patients um but we did open up old units that had previously been cold uh closed like how i said we used to be on level four 
my old unit. That unit then was vacant because the OR was eventually going to take over that area and make it into ORs, uh, OR suites. So it was still a uh, vacant ICU at that point with no equipment in it. So when the peak of COVID hit, they opened that up again. They had these little tiny heart monitors in the rooms with the patients. We had to stock it ourselves. I'd be calling up to my unit because, of course, we had to float down there to cover because we didn't have staff for a unit that was vacant. Um, you'd be calling up there like, I don't have syringes. Can you scud me down some syringes? It was like- very, It was mayhem. Yeah. So, it was like a field hospital. So so how, ma- how much, how many patients would you get, like new patients per day when it was at its peak? Um, just strictly ventilated with their various drips. There was nurses that had up to four ICU patients but um, because I was one of the senior nurses at that point, um, we did ECMO. Um, What's that? So that's one of the pictures I sent over. Uh, ECMO is extracorporeal um, membrane oxygenation. It's essentially a long-term uh, bypass machine that acts as the your heart. That It's this machine right here. It acts as your heart and or lungs. Um, and it takes all the blood out of your body, oxygenates it as it would your lungs, and puts it back in, and it can rest your heart and your lungs for extended periods of time. Why, so why would they do that with COVID, though, with blood, um, be, if it's a respiratory? Because your lungs aren't working and oxygenating your blood, so you have that oxygen deprivation, essentially. So we would put ECMO on there so you can actually oxygenate your body because your lungs are ineffective at that point. You were talking about people being on ventilators. Yes. So now as a layperson that has, you know, only reads things, majority of people that I, you know, things that I read is once you're on a ventilator, that was like the death sentence. Yeah. Was we it, didn't know that at that point. You didn't know that? No. But did you see anyone that got put on a ventilator and then made it? Very few. Uh, I remember at the end of the the peak of COVID in spring of 2020, that we had a couple of intensivists sitting around and they were like, oh, our mortality rate was only like 70 or 75 percent. That's awesome because North Wales was like 80. And I'm like, we're, we're celebrating that. Really? We're celebrating that. It's crazy that, that, that they would look at that. But was there ever a time that what I want to ask you was on these ventilators when they knew that, listen, these don't, they get on here, it's over. Were they still putting them on there anyway? Because at that point, no, because that was like the only thing we just thought because patients' oxygen levels were dipping so quickly. And normal line of thinking for this is, all right, you just you intubate them so you they can get oxygen. Um, we didn't realize at that point, or at least the n- nurses didn't, that that was like the worst thing to do. Why is that, though? So so, so tell us a little bit. Let, let, give us a little history on what COVID what it does to your body when so you would have a COVID patient come in can you give us the protocol on exactly this the procedure from as soon as they get in to then trying to get them recuperated i can't speak of when they actually came in because usually when they came to my unit they were already they had the breathing tube they were on multiple drips i didn't get to see what they looked like prior or what their um representation was or presentation was coming into the so that means they're coming to you on their way out almost so to yeah speak. that this is emergency now time that they're yeah. coming to you you don't want to see me during covid yeah so that means things aren't working out yeah. things are going downhill yeah but is there any type of communication with the staff that 
saw them first and or was there any type of, you know, conversations amongst the people that you're working with in your department saying, what are they doing down there? Are they doing the right thing? Is it? Are they doing the right protocol? Why are they sending so many people to, people to us? How do we get them from not going from there to here? Like, is there anything that could have been done looking back now, 2020, you know, hindsight being 2020? I think most of it came down to staffing. You don't, we didn't have the time that we really needed with these patients to work with them. So when they were on, BiPAP or the, the face mask machines, you know, you wanted to mobilize them and get them moving a little bit. And yeah, their stats are going to drop, but you wanted to work them a little bit more. Um, and and what do the lungs look like uh, when, when you is it anything white you, out? What do you mean white out? So your, your lungs would look like the X-ray. It would just be like cotton balls all over. Really? Yeah. Just some is that something that you've never seen before? Is it something that you saw, like, you, you know? would see that with, a, like, an ARDS patient or acute respiratory distress, like a, um, or, like, a really, really, really bad pneumonia, but usually uh, nothing, nothing like that. And then um, we were also told, once they got the breathing tube in, um, try not to suction them too much or clean out the, the sputum. Why? Uh, well, because... COVID is aerosolized, so if you broke the connection um, with the breathing tube, but then the COVID's going to aerosolize and get everywhere. But you needed to be able to clean out that sputum. So they had these inline suction catheters where it wouldn't break the seal, but they were so hard and thick, and you couldn't really maneuver. So you can get like a little spot, but um, of the sputum, but you couldn't really get like a deep clean. Like you really needed to like rotor-rooter these patients. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Good analogy like that. So what about the testing? How was the testing? Was it was it sufficient of testing for COVID? Was there any we time? We were shoving swabs up everyone's nose multiple times during their stay. But it was taking, at that point, days or weeks for COVID tests to come back. And once you were suspected COVID, then you just went to a COVID floor. And if you didn't have COVID, then you got COVID. Because you're on a COVID floor. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So you come in there, you don't, mean, you don't have COVID. Yeah. But because of the protocols of the hospital and everybody who comes in gets swabbed, now you get put in a, a COVID, even though you're waiting for it, just because you were tested, mm -hmm. you put you were put in a COVID room. Yeah, that was that's still being done today. What do you think about that? Disgusting. No one is saying anything. Nobody came and said to the higher ups and said, "Hey, listen, these people, we don't even know if they have COVID, and yet now we're putting them with people that do actually have COVID. Why would we do something like that?" I, those are questions you have to ask them. It's we. But as a nurse, yeah, as someone who, you know, and, and I'm glad that the stories that because now we know what type of person you are. How did you go home and, 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 and deal with that when you see, you know, people don't really know what's going on at the hospital. You do. They're clueless. And yet the hospital is causing more problems than they're, you know, helping people, it seems, at that point. I, you didn't have time to think at that point because I mean I was doing a lot of overtime so you were doing these 12 and a half hour shifts which were really like 14 hour shifts and uh, you'd get home you would stand I, at least for me I'd stand in the shower and just be like I hope to God I don't catch this and every day every day and I'm just uh, you would eat something usually um, 
I would eat something. Usually it would probably be the only time I ate that day, which would I'd inhale whatever. I would have a glass or two of wine, go back to bed, and do it all over again. I mean, I didn't see my family for weeks, except at my pop-ups. And here you are, At my right? pop-ups wake, which I had to stand, I mean, for their safety at that point, I had to stand or try to stay clear of everyone because I'm like a walking social, I'm like a walking pariah. I don't know what I have on me. But yet you're going to work every day. Yeah. You're not complaining about it. You're going, you're doing your job. There's no vaccine yet. I'm not saying, you know, we'll get into that, whether or not you believe or don't believe in vaccines, but there's no vaccine yet. So mm-hmm. here you are and you're just risking your life every single day. And we still didn't know. I'm not saying that we do even to this day, but we still didn't know what COVID really was and what it was doing. It was a novel virus. Yeah. Here it is. But yet every single day. And at that point, you were a hero. I in, hate that term. But it was, though. But that's what the term was. These are our medical heroes. I remember, you know, at 7 p.m., you you know, they would ring the bell and it was like, you know, a salute to the medical professions. And I sat there and said, thank God for these people. Thank God for you, because I'm not doing that. I'm not going in there and risking my life with COVID. I don't know what the hell's going on here. But look at look at where I am today. But look what you where you are today. (laughs) But at that time, first of all, why didn't you want to be called a hero? What was what's wrong with that? That's just this is our job. You know, this isn't a, you get patients and this isn't a dodgeball team. You don't get to pick patients. This is what we, this is what we signed up to do. You know, uh, to an extent, to an, to an, to ex- an extent, like, to you know, an extent, I know but, that there's cancer. I know that there's influenza. I know that there's pneumonia. I know that there's some communicable diseases that I can catch because I've been in nursing school. I've studied all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't, no one told us that, Hey, listen, COVID because there was no such thing about it. So you didn't really sign up for that. No, but you I did didn't. It. But I did, but I didn't. But especially sitting here now, hearing that term, oh, you're a healthcare hero. No, I'm I'm a big loser sitting here right now. Why? Because I have, I have no job right now because I was told that based upon these five charges that they're trying to put on Stony Brook nurses that want religious freedom – uh, I'm incompetent. That's my favorite charge. Tell me I'm incompetent. When I worked nonstop, where we used garbage bags as PPE, where the docs wouldn't even go into the rooms. I, some of them did. Most of them did not. And they would wait. You would be in there. You'd finally get your patient settled. All the drips were going where you didn't have to go back into the room for like another two hours or something like that because the rooms were glass and you can watch the patients. And you would walk out and you would just get all your, your crap off of you. And the doc would be like, oh, we're going we're gonna to make this change. Go back in. Why would they do that? Why would they say, hey, listen, we're going to make this change? What was it for? Was there ever any time that you started saying, well, maybe this isn't really about saving lives here or maybe this isn't really about doing our jobs as what we thought we were doing this is about money did it ever come to a point with that at the hospital at stony brook uh later later on i would say not during the first round of covid the second round where well i think everybody at first right like, yeah. so just correct me if i'm wrong everybody at first has no idea what the hell they're doing uh, and yeah, we don't know like, our ass from our elbow we're just like okay we're in this together you know the, the typical saying we're in this together is that what everybody was saying at the hospital we're in this together we're in this together we're gonna figure this out we're gonna we're gonna do our best to save everyone um you know it's though we were going through such a horrible experience it was a it, 
It's a bond that I don't wish I had with these um, people, but I do. Well, it's a bond that you thought you had. It's yeah. It was a it was a one type of bond that yeah. you thought you had at first, and it was like a great thing. Yeah, we're doing this, and we're gonna look back one day in in history, and we're gonna know that we were there on the front line, mm-hmm. and we did our job, yeah. and no questions asked, and we're in this together, and no matter what, twenty, thirty, forty years from now, I can say I made a difference. I made a difference, mm-hmm. and I might even have a reunion with the people, and we could all sit. Have a glass of wine and reminisce about exactly what we were doing and how we were saving lives. When did that feeling change at the hospital? Uh, So I would say once the vaccine mandates really started coming down the pipeline and we're like, oh, this is really going to be a thing. So you're talking about was there a vaccine out yet? No. No. So there was no vaccine out yet, but you started hearing about the vaccines. At the end of 20, was it 2020? My years are all messed up. 2020, I try to not even like remember. Yeah. So so the vaccine came out, I believe it was November of 2020. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was 2020, right after the election. Yeah. Came out the, the, the Thank vaccine. Thank you. Because I, so I was supposed to start that new job, right? And they held me from March until June. And then... At the end of June, I was released and I could start my desk job. So great, I did that, and then it's almost like a relief. I like was a break. I, I was like so Katie relieved. My, like Club Med. Oh my god, I was so mentally and physically exhausted. I like, I wanted no part really. You know, I did go back for overtime once in a while because I wanted to keep up my nursing skills. Because I was like, ah, oh, just God forbid something happens, I still want to be able to like walk into a patient's room and know what I'm doing. So I still did overtime shifts in my old unit. And then it was two days before Christmas and uh, my new manager of my desk job. Two days before Christmas of 2020. Correct. So the vaccines are out. The vaccines came out. They're new. And um, she came in and she's like, uh, the the numbers are rising again for COVID and uh, we're going to redeploy you back to the floors. So I was like, what? You tell me this two days before Christmas that I, you- I have to go back to COVID, work COVID again? Are you kidding me? Not only that, they they mandated me then to work every other month between day and night shift. I work I work days. If I didn't leave my bedside job, I would have been days regardless. So now you're making me go back to nights, and I don't do well on nights anymore. Yeah, well, because now you're done with it. I'm you, done with you, it. My body, done. my body was done. I was sleeping at the end of my nights. I was sleeping at best two hours. And not only that, though, too. You you know it, it's. It, Everybody's sleeping. There's nothing happening when you're when you're up. Yeah. Everybody's at work, and then when you're working, everybody's sleeping. Yeah. So it's a totally, you know, you yeah. know. After you do it for a little bit, and then you get off of it, and you get back into a regular routine. The last thing you're wanting to do is go back to that routine. Yeah. I did nights for seven years. I'm, I, I was yeah. done. I tapped out. I was done. So what I want to ask you though is when you started talking about the vaccines when they were start first coming out. So now here you are, you're in the medical profession. Yeah. What's the, the vibe going on around the hospital about getting the vaccine, getting well, vaccinated? Not saying so, that it was mandatory yeah. yet or anything. You heard Donald Trump, we're, we're doing warp speed. We're gonna get these vaccines. You're gonna, you're gonna get it. And just for me personally, I never, not once thought that I was ever getting it. Didn't matter, no matter who made it, or what? Unless God came down and said, "This is I just made this, yeah. and you're gonna have to take this thing, and don't worry about it. It's God, you know, God yeah. made." But what about you in the profession? What was going on at the hospital? So, so I got told I had to get redeployed. So at that point, 
And my And again, what what month is this? December 20th. Yeah, but the vaccines are already out. Yes, they're out, but they no one was really they were saving the vaccines for the people that were actually working covid at that point. But I'm saying those So just... then they told me I was getting redeployed and the then they told me, "Oh, because you're getting redeployed, we're going to get you we're going to get you the shots." Like it was, um, we're going to get you the vaccine ahead of everyone else as so like you, a thank you gift for doing this. And the one girl that I got redeployed with, she was like, oh, that's great, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you can keep it. I don't want it. Why, though? Here you are. You're, you're, you're a nurse. You're with all these doctors. You have all of this medical science that is there for you, right? Everybody, you know, at your disposal. Yeah. You know, you have something that aches, talk to the doc. Talk to this aches here. I got this doc. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a library, walking library, of the medical profession of anything that could want or happen to you that you have at your disposal, and yet here is this breakthrough miracle drug that's coming out, and yet you didn't want to take it. Why? That's a that's got a couple parts to it. First part is scotch. Oh God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um. So first part is any vaccine testing for long-term effects, you need 10 years of testing. How did they just pull a vaccine like this out of nowhere so quickly? That's weird to me. Another thing is they were very open from the beginning that they did this on testing and manufacturing on fetal cell lines. They were, uh, which was mind blowing to me that they were so open about this. When you say that, are you talking about abortion babies? Yes. Okay. Can you just elaborate on, like, because you're saying a medical term, just elaborate what you mean by that? A fetus. Fetal cell lines. So they they used aborted baby cells on um, the testing and manufacturing of these three different types of vaccines. And I am a traditional Catholic. And that so you're is, totally against abortions. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, that's not that's not something I would ever put in my body because that's saying that that life is less uh, less than mine. It's not happening. The Do you po- think that there's an exception? And I, and, and I just wanted a quick sidebar here with this whole abortion thing because mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you and I agree with you. But what about if someone was raped? Do you think that they should not get an abortion? They shouldn't. Okay, so you're you're, you're die hard on it. Yeah. So you think that they should go to term, and if they don't want the baby, then put it up for an adoption. That could be the option that they think that they have. So you are hard-lined, no abortion at all. Every life deserves to have the ability to enjoy life. Yes. Right? That's what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So here they are. You start reading about what they're doing. I start reading about that. And then also, my, my brother is a documented vaccine injury. So I have personal experience with what an FDA-approved vaccine can do. So tell us, what vaccine did he take? So my brother was born... Oh, oh I know where you're going to go with this, only because we've talked. So just explain, go ahead, explain. I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, my brother was born in 1992, and uh, he is pediatrician. Uh, the hepatitis B vaccine was getting introduced and told to parents, oh, you have to give that shot to your baby because um, they're at risk. And my brother uh, got got the shot, and uh, he immediately had a reaction to it. He turned jaundice, and he was screaming, screaming nonstop. And uh, long story short— How old was he when he got the vaccine? A uh, couple of weeks old, I think. Okay. Um, 
So long story short, my brother is autistic, which is kind of like the, the other category now with, uh, with, with disabilities. Um, he is typically autistic children are not super social. He's very social. He's the happiest kid you will ever, ever meet in your life. Um, he also has Fabry disease, which is a, a genetic um, disorder. Um, but when my mom, he, my brother wasn't speaking, obviously, when uh, at the appropriate milestones. And um, he, my mom was getting him tested and, and all this stuff. And he has mercury in his third and fourth ventricle of his brain. And that is directly related to the thermosol, which is a preservative that is used or was used in uh, the hepatitis B vaccine. And it had the highest concentration of thermosol the, that year. And then as more and more kids were getting diagnosed with things, all of a sudden the thermosol got pulled. And then they said, oh, you don't need to give newborns those va- the hepatitis B vaccine. That could be weighted. You know, I, I, I told you I'm 48 years old. So when I was a kid, I didn't know anything about autism. To be honest with you, no, yeah. it wasn't really a, 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 like a thing. Yeah, like autistic children. I don't even think that I saw one autistic child in my elementary school. And are you saying that that so when that vaccine, that hepatitis B vaccine, that was in what ninety two? You said ninety two. And I, I think that it's Jenny McCarthy who thinks the exact same thing too. She says that her baby, because of that shot, is the re- that's the reason why her child is autistic as well. Knowing that, yeah. So you you knew that you so you see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, when my brother was going through school, I mean, he went to uh, Northport uh, Public School. They had to revamp their special ed program because his year had the most disabled kids that they've ever seen, and they had to completely revamp their special ed program. I'm surprised that we don't ever hear anything like that. Like that no. should be. In the news. Yeah, it should be. That should be, everyone should be knowing, hey, listen, just to let you know, this is what happened and this is what we did and how they cover that up, I would assume, then that's the, you know, it's a big cover up because you don't see any doctors. Did you ever talk to any doctor afterwards, like when you're working in the hospital and say, hey, you know what, I got a question for you. Um, My brother took this vaccine back in 92. Do you think that this is the reason what, what happened? And, you know, if you did have that conversation, what was the result of it? No, I didn't because I knew most people, I don't know if they don't want to see it or it's just they put so much trust in, well, they said they said this is safe. They say this is effective and no one would ever try to do anything to be underhanded with, with things or, you know, you, you got to follow the money. I know I sound like a tinfoil hat person right now, but from what I've seen, that's... You could could put that into all the vaccines, to be honest with you. Look what's going on right now with the COVID vaccine. I mean, the U.S., I don't know if you follow Candace Owens. Of course. I mean, have you been seeing what her... Uh, her like Insta stories with the vaccines and everything. Yes, no, have, I'm a big fan of Candace Owens. Yeah, we have like the most vaccines for kids and we are like one of the unhealthiest societies. Yeah, she did that one Instagram when she was talking about the, what is it, HPV? Yeah. Vaccine for, for girls, Yeah, right? Isn't that, and it causes, could cause, they say that you have to get the vaccine so you don't get cancer, but she was saying that then it makes female sterile or what, what, what you can't have babies what was it that exactly she said about that vaccine i don't remember i but do you I have any knowledge of like would you give your daughter that vaccine no why wouldn't you 
because of just vaccines in general now? There's a, there's a risk with everything. And I don't feel like, I mean, even with like the flu shot, I took the flu shot maybe when I was in like my later teen years because I needed it for college and everything like that. But every time I took uh, the time I took it, I got deathly sick with with the flu. It makes no sense to me. I know. It's, I don't know why people do that because that's what happens. That's, every time it, somebody said they got the flu shot. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's a they got the wrong one this year or they got the wrong combination or whatever. And I'm like, well, it's, I, fine, I'll gamble. I don't want to put something in my body. That's not. It's not natural. It's no. I agree with you 100 percent. I don't know. Like I was watching old home movies with like uh, my family the other day. And, you know, there was 15 cousins I grew up with. And we always went over to my grandparents' house every Friday. Where, you know, it was always someone's birthday. And you always hear in the background, someone's coughing. Someone had like a stomach virus or something like that. No one cared. That's part of life. You get sick. I know. Remember the times that you just be at work and somebody's coughing or somebody sneezes and you're like, oh, stay away from me. You know, or somebody just says to you, which now would be like a crime, you feel like. I'm a little under the weather. Okay, just stay away, stay over there then and don't oh, come yeah. near me. Or make sure we don't share any drinks together. Yeah, that's, we were here in the whole movies and we heard someone cough and my sister it was like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh my, yeah, oh my God, well, you're reacting to it. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. We have like PTSD from someone coughing. So talk to me now. So here you are. You, you go back to now the d- December. So they're, yeah. they're offering this free shot and you're like, no, I'm not going to get it. Yeah, it's hard pass. So, you're, so you say, no, I'm not going to do it. So then what happened... After that, did you think to yourself, I'm just not going to get the shot and it's not going to be a big deal? Yeah, or there rumblings going on saying, hey, listen, man, they're going to start mandating it. Like, when did that come? That didn't start coming until the beginning of summer of 2021. Started hearing. So like around May, June. Yeah. Started hearing rumors about it. And I'm like, no, they, they can't do that. It's, you know, they'll just do what they do with the flu shot. You sign the declination and you got to wear a mask or something while you're in the hospital. Not a big deal. Is, is people starting to get nervous? I didn't start getting nervous until August. But did you have in your mind that there's no way? Now, remember what you've told us. Yeah. Right. You started back in what, 2012, you said? Yeah. You worked your way all the way up. You yeah. want to get your master's. You just did everything that you were doing for COVID. Was there any thought in your mind that you started saying, let me just do a little bit research on this mRNA. Let me see. Maybe I will do it. Or was it just a hard no because of your religious exemption or religious beliefs? It's It was a hard no because of my religious beliefs. But of course, I'm going to look into it because I'm like, all right, mRNA technology, this is new. Like, what? what is this? And the more research I started doing, I'm like, mm, no, this like you get your inner soul, your your spidey sense. And I'm just like, nope, I'm not I'm not doing this. But not only that, though. Here, So now you're going to get it when the numbers are nowhere near they were, say, in March of 2020. Well, that's what it was, too. And I you was went walking around. To... I was swimming in covid for months. Did you ever get with... it? Uh, so. At the end of May in 2020, I got a wicked, like, 104-degree fever for, like, three days. And I went and I got tested. It was negative. And I was like, all right. So, you know, pop Tylenol and uh, went on my merry way. Still, like, went to work after that. And then uh, I didn't get an official COVID uh, diagnosis until uh, Christmas this past year. Oh, so you had COVID. I had COVID. But, like, my COVID of uh, this past Christmas was a 
less than 36 hour, 100 degree fever, and I lost my taste of sense and smell. Did you get it back? Yeah. And that's it? Yeah. And you're back on you're back on the horse? Yeah. The worst part of that was that I had to be uh, like in my apartment alone on Christmas. That killed me. I mean, thank God for like FaceTime and stuff like that. You know, I yeah, absolutely. hung out with my family that way. But uh, I mean, this wasn't like the big killer that like was going to take me down, especially that I'm unvaccinated. Yeah. So so, <laughs> so 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 now tell us. So now you go, take us to August here of 2021, right? Now you're starting to hear, you see Joe Biden's now in office. He yeah. starts talking about, you know, wanting to mandate things Listening and stuff like Cuomo. that. Listening to Cuomo. Cuomo, yeah. Hearing him as well. Yeah. You know, when you see all these things happening, you know, mandates and how bad things are, you know, you're you're on the inside. Was it a lot of times that you were hearing the noise on the outside, the same type of noise that was actually going on on the inside, or was they, you know, usually not the same? There's a lot of like fear mongering going on with like the media and stuff like that. Even like when uh, the COVID numbers for this past Christmas and stuff like that, like, yeah, the numbers did go up, but there wasn't that many like COVID ICU patients in Stony Brook at that point. Um, spring of 2020, almost all of them were ICU requiring the ventilator and, you know, a multitude of of drips to keep their blood pressure up and sedated and paralyzed and all that stuff. Um, Can I ask you a question then? I just want to, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to, just so I, I don't lose you here. Yeah. On your professional opinion, what was the difference between why are they in the ICU in the spring of 2020 and then why aren't they in the ICU in the fe in February of 2021 if they all have COVID? What, I don't understand. What, what do you think that was? I think it came down to we tried to uh, not intubating as early. And I think there was just so many, you know, again, it came down to we were testing everyone, but we were testing everyone where they were spinning the the swabs at a higher level. So you're going to come up positive. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you're saying that because you're doing it at such a high level, you may not even have COVID, but it's going to come back as COVID. You may just have the flu. But you may now, just have a cold. You may just have a cold. But now, did they know that they were doing that? We didn't know that. The people, like me, during that, I had no idea what that, that was. They were coming back positive. All right, everyone's got COVID. Do you like, think that the people on the higher-ups at Stony Brook Hospital knew that if we spin that faster, that it's going to come back a positive test? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when they figured it out or or when. Um, so Maybe. what would be I'm your, not, I'm not going to. Okay, I know. You're not going to go into I'm it. I'm not going to theorize something I truly don't know. But how about this then? What about your, just give me an estimate of what you think. So let's just say there was 5,000 at that time in the beginning, they're all coming back positive and they're doing the high spin rate. Yeah. Out of that 5,000 that tested positive for COVID, if they didn't do that high spin rate and what you know now, what do you think the number would be? I think it would have been dramatically different. What's dramatically different? I would say at least half. At least half. Yeah. So if you think about that on the level of say 100,000, yeah. then it's really only... 50,000. Mm -hmm. If it's a million, it's only 500. And that's just you giving an S. It could be even less. Yeah. And are they still doing those tests today like that? Spinning it that fast? No, it's at a lower rate now. Now it is. Yeah. Why did it change? The, I, f I forget. I forget why they, well, it started coming out. The guy who actually invented the, the swabs for this flat out said, like, you need to be doing this at a much lower level. 
because if you do it at these high levels, of course, it's going to come back positive. It's breaking down anything and it's going to show some sort of virus. Um, but nobody talks about that. No. Nobody doesn't, says, it doesn't fit hey, the listen. agenda. It doesn't fit the agenda. And what is the agenda? It's if you put a patient, you know, this all comes out later again. And I, you put a COVID patient on a ventilator, you get a lot more money. $30,000. Yeah. You get a COVID death. Oof, a lot more money. So take me now to when you when when you first got told either you're getting the vaccine or you're losing your job. Tell me about that day. They sent out the email. I forget which day. I have it in my binder here somewhere. But um, they said they rolled out the mandate and they said, OK, you can um, apply for either a religious or a medical exemption. I'm like, all right, well, that's that's what I'm doing because I'm not getting this shot. And um I applied for the religious exemption, and I got denied a couple of days later. Um, Why did you get denied? What was the reason? They don't give. They didn't give a reason. Just denied. Denied. So now here you are. You, you know, you have this religious exemption that you think at the time you're like, oh, re- religious exemption. I'll yeah. fill it out, and I'll yeah. be on my merry way. And then. Yeah, go ahead. If you want to go look into whatever it is that you lo- you know you need to find there, but yeah, you, you, they had a, a declination that you they wanted you to sign. They wanted you to in their little boxes fill out why, what your religious reasons were, or whatever. And I wrote a letter of my religious reasons. I had it signed by my priest, um, and that. How confident were you that that was going to be it? And that was that was it. You'll be on your merry way. You'll still be a nurse. You'll still do your job. And that's it. Um, maybe that first week, I thought like this is this is a showing because I'm I mean, I'm truly a traditional practicing Catholic. Like, what is there to my freedom of religion, my yeah. my constitutional right, what I my beliefs? You can't tell me. Yeah, I what, mean, you have a patient in the hospital that's a Jehovah Witness, and you know they need blood to survive. They need a blood transfusion, and. You tell them that, and they're like, "Well, it's my religion. I can't, I can't get a blood transfusion. Sorry." If you give them the blood transfusion, still, that's assault. Like I'm telling you flat out, my religious beliefs. You're saying it's criminal assault yeah. that if you gave that to them because they're going against their religion and what they told you they didn't want. Yes. So that applies to them. Yeah. Now you have a religious exempt. You have a religious belief. Yeah. And they're telling you to go to hell. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it made no sense to me. So, okay, so you, you put the paperwork in, it gets denied. Yes. Now, what's going through your mind here? Because, again, all of this, what you've just gone through the past two years, basically, you sacrificed your life, you risked your life, you had no idea. Mm. I mean, you could be dead right now based on what you thought was going to happen. Yeah. You volunteered, you let that mother not do it. Whatever it is, you had you were working nights, then you get the days, you're back on nights, and now all of a sudden, this. Yeah. And, I know you don't like the word, but... You went from a medical hero, you know, in the profession to now this. So what were you thinking? I was like, some people in my office were like, oh, nothing. They're going to let this pass. It's going to pass. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I was I was seeing how Como really was like hell bent on this, on this, this mandate and everything. And I'm like, I think I'm really I think I'm really going to lose my job. Like, this is it. It's a scary feeling. It's a horrible feeling. You know, I worked my whole life. I, like I said, this was the one thing I was super settled on, you know. And I go to explain in my, in my letter, too. You know, 
I was so dedicated to my job and advocating for my patients. Like, I, I missed the death of my grandfather because of the shortcomings of the hospital. I missed it. I missed being there for my grandfather who basically raised me. So, you know, we had a we had a COVID patient or he wasn't officially uh, positive for COVID, but he had all the characteristics of COVID. He was a young, in his late 20s, 20-year-old patient, a 20-something-year-old patient. And uh, he did have a comorbid or an issue. Um, And he was on ECMO, which was that machine that I showed you. Yeah. So he was on that. He had the breathing tube. Um, He was on 24-hour dialysis. And he was primarily my patient throughout COVID. That was like my, that was my person. And, uh, you know, the worst was, especially during this whole thing, I don't know, patient advocacy. I know they meant well, but like I said, you have to try to detach from patients in order to just get through the day. They told like different family members, uh, every patient's family member, make like, make a board of, you know, the patient and put all their pictures and their family and what their favorite color is and stuff like that. And we'll put it in the rooms. I'm like, oh, my God. You go into these patients' rooms and you see who's laying in bed and the, you're seeing the pictures of them and their family and their kids and the truck they liked and, you know, their favorite likes were that he liked this patient, liked Frank Sinatra and had a Jeep and a dog and all this stuff. So it's really humanizing them and it's torture for us as nurses because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see that. I need humanizes to, them. It does. And it was so and, you know, when I would bathe him, I would put Frank Sinatra music on and stuff like that. And I would, I would talk to him and, and that type of stuff. But just to see what they looked like before I saw them was mind blowing. So and I had a good rapport with the with his mom. You know, they had a designated nurse that would call all the patient's family members during that time because we didn't really have time. But especially with my pop-up having COVID at that point, and we would just sit by the phone and wait for a phone call to hear how he was doing. Um, I made it a point. I would call his mom in the beginning and the end of my shift. And I'd say, all right, we just did rounds. This is what the game plan is. This is what happened overnight. I'll call you before I go home, you know. So that was that was my person. I would talk to his mom. She would always ask me how your pop pop's doing, all this stuff. So he April twenty eighth, twenty twenty, he this patient got he got off ECMO the day before. So they took off that big machine, but he was still on continual dialysis. He still had the breathing tube in. And it was six thirty in the evening, so it's a half hour before change of shift. And they go, Doc says, All right, we're gonna change the breathing tube out. We're going to change the breathing tube now. Shouldn't we have done that yesterday when he was on ECMO and he had full support? And why are we doing this right before change of shift? Because, like, not for me, but, like, there's there's less people in the in the hospital. Like, everyone's getting ready to go home. Like, this is just not, Everybody's like, about to check it's, out. It's, again, Everybody's spite, looking at their watch. spidey sense. It's spidey sense. Like, don't, mm, do we need to do this right now? Um, so I actually didn't have him that day. I had the patient on ECMO next door. And... I told the nurse that had him that day, I was like, I'm, I'm going to stick around and like hang out just in case, you know, something goes on. Because I, I was I was so attached to this patient. So they go to change the breathing tube out and they lose the airway. And 
he starts coding. And what's coding mean? He, Coughing or losing air and it's no, he he's not he's not breathing. Okay. No heart rate. As soon as they pulled it out? They they lost the airway. So they're supposed to change it over like a, a, a wire kind of type thing. And they they lost it. They dislodged it. So he had nothing. Nothing in his mouth or down there breathing for him. So they lost the airway. They couldn't get one pass. So then they go to try to crack him or put a, a trach and and they still can't get it. And he's coding. And he's... So... Eventually, they got an airway established at that point, and um, that code went on for, I want to say, like 45 minutes, and uh, the room looked like a bomb went off in it. There's just, like, shit everywhere. There's medical supplies thrown. We had to rinse back the dialysis machine. His poor nurse was just, like, standing there, like, what like what just happened? You know, it's they try so I go to give report on my, I go to check on my actual patient and um, give report on that patient. And then I go back in to help clean up. And uh, I called, I called that one's mom and said like, oh, you know, um, there was like a little bit of a problem, but he's doing good now. And, you know, he had a pulse. He, he was breathing. You know, I don't know what his brain was doing at that point, but he, he, he was back. And uh, and I stayed late to help clean up the room and everything. I didn't get home until like nine nine thirty at that point. And um, I was supposed to go visit my pop pop that night, but I knew it was off the next day. And I called my mom, and I said, "You don't understand the day I just had. I'm like it was horrible." And um, I was like, "I'm gonna go see pop pop tomorrow," you know, because the last time I saw him, well, he kept asking, was like, "Oh." Um, you're going to come back, right? Because the nurses in his nursing home let me come in after hours because they knew I was already swimming in COVID. They, they were like, just bring your own N95. So I was blessed that I was able to see him that one time. So I get home and I shower. And my sister calls me as I get out of the shower. And my uh, my sister doesn't call, typically. It's, it's a text. So I pick up the phone and she's like, uh, pop-up died and I'm like no like I was I was so angry I'm like this is a fucked up joke like and then I I I hear my mom wailing in the background that's so bad I'm so sorry and I just keep thinking like (laughs) I promised him I was gonna be back if they didn't do the breathing tube exchange at that weird time I would have been able to be there. And my grandfather was by himself alone. Because it's of fine. You, because of you being the type of person you are, you put that other patient actually first. I know. So my papa died that that day or that night, thank you. And I mean, he he taught me everything there was with with the Catholic religion. He more so than my Catholic school, um, and he is the reason why I am the person I am today. I mean, I took a very bumpy road, but um, it comes full circle. And um, we had his wake, which 
on Cinco de Mayo. And of course, you know, it's a big Italian family and there was restrictions. So I only got to see him for like five minutes at best. And while I was leaving the, the funeral home, I got the text that that patient died on the day of my it's <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. I, I felt so bonded with this patient. With your I, grandfather? And it, it was just, it was so much, and it was all intertwined because I would speak to his mom, and she's like, how's your pop-pop doing? I'm like, oh, he's, do, he's doing good today. And I'm like, and your son, he's doing great, and we got him off the ECMO, and it was just this, we had this rapport, and I I don't get attached to patients typically. I'm like an ice princess, but there was just something with this family. And so for them to sacrifice being there for my pop-pop and then I'm incompetent. I have a misconduct charge. I have failure to comply with public health law, which this isn't health law, by the way, to throw these like five charges on me, to lose my career, to lose all of this stuff. And I gave everything. I gave everything. Doesn't seem right. It's not. No, it's off. It's not. Till the day I take my last breath, that guilt will consume me that I was not there for him. I'm sorry to hear that. It's horrible. And then to tell me that I'm not good enough to practice. I, 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 I just, it, it's mind boggling. I don't get it. I don't get it. We saw, I saw so much death at that point. I mean, I saw this beautiful African-American woman. She was in her 50s and she looked like she was younger than me. And she was intubated, and she, um, I admitted her, and then a couple of days later, she coded, and they did two, two pushes on her chest and called it. And I'm like, that's that, it? That's it? That's all we're doing now? We're just saying, I'm sorry? This isn't what I signed up for. And meanwhile... You're now out of a job. Yeah. Because you wanted to do the right thing. You were doing the right thing. Yeah. And then they come back. How does that make you feel? Like how do you how do you wake that's up? That's why every I morning? get like it's it, you know, now I sound like a snowflake and triggered, but like that's why I hate don't call me a hero because I'm not. But how does it how do you how do you cope with that every day, waking up knowing you just everything that you just told us and you still don't have a job. To this day, you can't go to that hospital no, and get I'm your job. No, I'm still on unpaid suspension pending termination. I'm waiting for my arbitration date, which my union lawyer basically said, you're not getting. It's not going to be a good outcome for you. Did you think that when Cuomo went down, did you think that maybe things were going to change? No. You knew for a fact. No, the second I saw what Hochul looked like, and I, I did my research on her, I'm like, "This, we're gonna be praying for Como to come I back." I said to my, I say to my girlfriend, I say it all the time. I say to her, I said, "You got it. You know, it's the devil that you know. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is is one thing, but it's the devil that you don't know in Hochul. Ugh. You got to be ready for." The second she wore that vaccine necklace, and then she started calling people to be disciples and stuff like that. Don't you dare start saying like oh jesus gave this to us because i don't know the last time you stepped into a a church toots like yeah or a hospital saving people's lives yeah and know what that's all about yeah now do you have you know friends that you still talk to that 
got vaccinated that now you don't talk to because of what happened? I mean, was was it's, lines kind of drawn? Like, how did that go? It's uh, it's, because very, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. I mean, there's still I have one friends or two friends that are still working in the hospital that got vaccinated and they will still be my friends going, you know moving forward and everything like that you know they didn't want to get the vaccine per se but they did they you know they needed their job which i get to a certain point but you know what like i i didn't do this as like a hobby this wasn't like like i need a job too you know what like i'm getting tired of like was there ever talk like hey listen if we all stick together here and we don't get vaccinated and we don't do this and they don't tell us how we can live our lives then maybe we could win this fight. I mean, was that being said, or is it people, as soon as they could, they they jumped and got vaccinated? I think there was a lot more people that didn't want to get vaccinated and then at the last second caved because, so I got put on unpaid leave on September um, 27th was the day it started, but that Friday is when they called me into the office. And so I sit down with the head of surgery um, and she's like, okay, before we start, um, just to let you know, a lot of people um, decided to get the vaccine today, and you can do that right now. <laughs> no. Okay, so you're going to go on unpaid leave, and then it turned into unpaid suspension after our disciplinary interrogation. Um, so... But you can't now, because even though you're a nurse, and we were saying this before, you could go anywhere and be a nurse, any state. You still can't, like, say, if you wanted to go to Florida and be a nurse, can you do that? So I can right now. So the way that this whole shit show is working is I am pending my arbitration to appeal um, my exemption. Um, They gave us a notice of discipline, which has those five charges on it, which is the misconduct, the incompetence, the insubordination. How do you get an an incompetence charge, though? Because if you don't want to take a vaccine. I don't understand. How does that, how does that, those two things come together? Oh, God. Eric, can you also pull up that, that tube that, you know, the COVID tube? I want to just see that. I want people to see what that looks like. Thank you. Uh, my charges are that on or about October 13th, beginning of business, I violated the August 18th public health law issued by New York State Department of Health. I engaged in misconduct when I failed to receive the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. I was derelict in my duties when I failed to receive the vaccine. I was incompetent when I failed to receive the vaccine. And I was insubordinate. It's unbelievable that this is actually going on in America. Yeah. And I don't th- I don't know if a lot of people are... And it's are, a big are, fuck you oh, yeah. to everything that you did up to that point. Yeah, that's why. It's every day I wake up and I'm going through the seven stages of grieving. It's unbelievable. It is. Most days I'm waking up angry and by the nighttime I'm, I'm crying because it's... I mean, I've worked since I'm 13. You know, it's to wake up and... Don't know what you're going to do. do. Yeah, that that's that's what I took care of, and I'm incompetent. That tube right there is you disgusting. It is disgusting, and like I said, you they had those inline suction catheters, right? And you couldn't get anything sucked up with that. I mean, it was cement, and like a sh- so that that goes in crystal clear. Oh that, yeah, that's the what is it called? An ET tube. An ET tube. That's with the breathing tube, right? Yes, and. 
That's what it looks like. After seven to ten days of the breathing tube being in, not allowed to like really suction. The- it looks like somebody smoked like eight packs of cigarettes through that thing. It was concrete. It was concrete. concrete. It was concrete. You couldn't pass anything through that. What is inside it, though, that makes it look like that? Like, what is it? That, what's the substance that makes it concrete? I don't understand. It was just, it was their phlegm. I don't know what the, the, the makeup of it, but that's their, that's their phlegm. And here you are. That is what you're dealing with every single day. That on top of patients that are on at least, at least eight different IV medications for sedation to, I mean, they were on ridiculous amounts of sedation and paralytics. These people, their metabolism was so high. The the medications we had them on could put a horse down. But why would they do that though? Wouldn't that in your, listen again, I'm not a doctor or nurse, but wouldn't that compromise your immune system when you're not, when you're in that type of state? Right? I mean, if you're just, if I take two Xanax and I'm out cold, I don't see how my body is actually, how that's benefiting being able to fight off, being able to maybe move around. You would think that if your chest is that congested, you don't want to sit down and lay down. Again, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're I would right. think that, hey, there two o'clock, a- we all, everybody's got to take a walk around the hospital to, to move things. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the case. It was paralyzed, sedate, and just control them but you're the incompetent one. Oh yeah you're the one who's oh, confi- yeah. you know who's 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 doing malpractice or oh, insubordination yeah. or not doing up to you know a derelict of duty yeah it's really something else these people that are still at that hospital that could look at themselves i mean did you ever talk to any doctors and say what are we doing what is going on here or did anyone ever do that or oh, did please. You- i had co-workers it was before the the official mandate like came out and stuff like that she came into the office and she knew she knew I was not vaccinated. I was I was very open about it. I'm, I'm not getting the vaccine. Period. End of discussion. She came in and said, looked me dead in the eyes and said, when the unvaccinated get COVID, I hope they stay at home and die and not clog up our hospital system so I don't have to get redeployed again. Really? Yeah. And oh, it's crazy okay. that, you know, you say that because now that we know everything about the vaccine, yeah. you can get COVID and give COVID. Yeah. Meanwhile, she was taking care of her, her mom, who's, who was an older woman and stuff like that. She went through hoops to not work the COVID floors so she didn't bring it home to her mom. And she was the first one to get vaccinated, too, and everything. But I'm, <laughs> I'm good enough to die. I'm, I was taking care of the patients while you were sitting on another floor twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. Like. But but the thing is, too, is is how did that response? Because, you know, at first we were told one thing about the vaccine. Yeah. If you get vaccinated, you're never getting COVID. Right, the and masks you can't can give come COVID. off. The you masks, can, yeah. You, you can Joe go back Biden, to normal. Back to normal. Yeah. You right? get your cookie. Good go. And then all of a sudden you start seeing that's not you start seeing the change of the message. Yeah. From Rachel uh, Walensky, the uh, Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director. Then you start seeing Dr. Fauci changing his tune. You see even you know Joe Biden changing his thing. Everybody's got to get vaccinated. Before it was masks, like you said, yeah. come off. Don't worry about anything. Yeah. But once you found out, right, that the people that are vaccinated can still get COVID and give COVID. Did you think at that time that hey, listen, why am I still don't have a job? That doesn't make any sense. It's, you know what? And most of the people that are at Stony Brook right now, like nurse-wise, feel the same way. Most of them. Some of them are really like they dug their heels in and they think like, you know, give me all the boosters in the world and whatnot. But especially 
when they switched the rules and well, because you're vaccinated uh, and you have COVID, as long as you're not like super symptomatic, you have to come back to work. And then you take care of patients that are not COVID positive. Wait a second. Wait and, a second. Wait a and second. that's your goodie bag wait. for coming into the hospital. Just because you're vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? You were able to go back to the hospital, even though you're, you know, you're not too bad with the symptoms. Yeah. And everybody knows that you can give the COVID, you could sp- spread COVID now. Yeah. They would allow them, because, just because they're vaccinated, yeah. to go back into the hospital and then they're spreading COVID. Yeah. Why, during, would they, why would they do that, though? During during Christmas time, where that December, uh, like, bum rush of COVID or whatever. The peak. The peak um, of this of this past year. I think it was like 30, I'm going to conservatively say 35% of the nurses at Stony Brook were sick with COVID. So do do the math. I mean, we lost how many other, we lost the nurses from this mandate. So we're, and then we were short staffed to begin with on a good day. So they're running on empty. And then my one friend, she still had a fever and she had to go back to work. She's still coughing. So two, here, two here, months later so of, of having COVID, so she, and she's still she has she's at work. But you, who has natural immunity, yeah. who doesn't even have any symptoms of COVID, huh. who was working unvaccinated for the whole year yeah. when that was going on, can't go back to work. No, but the the, the, the vaccinated with COVID yeah. goes right back and and then infects everyone. Yeah. What is going on? I it, don't understand. How is that even happening? How is it that that that's not being told every single day what was taking place? It's, I mean, I try my best to, I mean, if I'm out and like, like I was talking about Stu Leonard's before, when I went to go p- pick up my K-cups and stuff like that, someone makes a comment, I start, I start talking about it now because if you're, you're charging me with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's free right. game now. Free game. Yeah. Everything's out on the table now. Yeah. What else did you see at the hospital that, you know, people like myself may not know, but you said, wow, are we really doing that? And it could be whether it's the, hey, put them on a ventilator so we get $30,000 to the testing, to whatever it is that you saw that you, you know, that you think that needs to be out there that people haven't, you know, people don't know about. There's just, I don't even know what more to possibly say. I mean, I'm still not over, like, I don't even know if I want to share this. Well, I have, you're in it. You're I'm here. in it. I'm in it. You, I have these, char- right? I have these charges on me. During the the peak of COVID, there was a nurse that I was working with who was exhibiting signs and symptoms of some sort of drug issue. And... Of course, working where we did, we had access to a lot of those medications because we needed to paralyze, sedate, all the stuff with us, especially our, our ECMO patients. And it got to the point where I'm like, I'm not co-signing anything with her because I'm not comfortable. I don't. I didn't see her waste things. Like usually, it's, again, spidey sense. She no longer works at Stony Brook. She she quit, but she quit after there was allegedly a whole vial of like medication missing of a narcotic variety. And she does not have one charge on her. They didn't even do an investigation. They just didn't, well, we'll call it. She quit. Well, what, what, what is it? So, so 
so just so I understand what's yeah. going on. So you have a patient that comes in here that had signs of some narcotics? No, a nurse that a was nur- working. Oh, the nurse. nurse comes in. Oh, the nurse The nurse was working there. And she, Looks like she's on drugs. She's on Vikes. She's on painkillers. She's, she's on something. Something dope. Who knows something. what it could be. I mean, we're, it's, it's, again, peak of COVID, we are running around like chickens without our heads off where there's more patients than we know what to do with. We're trying to like uh, get everything together. And she's like sitting in the bathroom for like hours. All of a sudden, she's changing the patient's like narcotic medications a lot. And when you change them out, you need a co-signature for like the waist or what or hanging it or whatever. And she would like she would ask me and I'm like, I didn't I didn't see you do that. I ain't signing it to my license, you know, because I actually like value it. So you think that she was taking that medication? She was 100 percent taking the medication. She uh, allegedly a whole vial of a narcotic medication went walking with her. And Stony Brook knew about it, and because she then just resigned, nothing ever happened. So she doesn't have one charge on her. But yet, here you are. I got five. You got five, and you did everything that you had to do. Again, you risked your life. I, 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 get, I, I, I can't stress that enough, because nobody knew what it was no. in, the, you know, in March of 2020. Yeah. No one knew. It was just it was mass hysteria. It would be yeah. something that we'll, we'll remember forever. What do you think is going on now? So now we have the numbers allegedly dropping. Well, it's uh, midterms that are coming up. Yeah. Right? Stony Brook, I think, has uh, 60 COVID patients right now. 60? 60. What did you have at the peak? Uh, I want to say high 400s. Okay. So you had four. So from 400. I mean, that was peak 2020. 400 patients of COVID. Not You're talking ventilator? Four or five. Uh, four or 500. Not all of them were ventilated, okay, no, so f- but a majority of them so f- were. All right, so 500 to now 60. 60, and I think five of them are ventilated. And don't you think, so wouldn't that be a time to say, hey, listen, we're, we're kind of over this. Let's get these nurses who lost their job, who we, we did this, let's get them back in here. You would think, but then didn't New York City just fire all their municipal workers for not getting... So what do you the think? shot? So I mean, my, you, my what, cousin's what, husband is a NYPD, and he just got his religious exemption denied. What's the so? What do you think is the real reasoning behind this whole thing? I think it's. I think they're testing to see how much they can really get away with, and how many people are going to be good, good little boys and girls, and comply. I think they want to get out the people that actually have an IQ higher than a potato at this point. So you're saying it's control. Yeah, absolutely. That who we can manipulate and will do what we say on our command. Yeah. We don't want the people that are gonna give us any type of friction at all. My personal opinion, you know, that without a doubt, I never really, you know, I looked at it, but I I could see what you're saying 100%, but the money. The money that they get, I mean, Pfizer came out, I think they made over $3 billion in sales, or whatever it was, on just the vaccines. Well, yeah, and if everyone complies, then you get more money. If you have 100% vaccine compliance with your staff for hospitals, you get more money. Is it right now that you have to, to be fully vaccinated, to be considered fully vaccinated at the hospital? Do you need a booster now? That will, their booster mandate is a, an, in effect on Monday. There's actually, there actually is a rally up at Stony Brook at noon today. 
So you have to have a booster. Yeah. Or you're not now fully vaccinated. No, then then you're coming over to my side now. Now you're really yeah. And all of a sudden, what? So what's those nurses saying now? Now is it a different tune? Because I mean, it's so disheartening because most people are like, "Well, I don't want to get it, but you know, I still need my job." And just, just stand up. When is when is enough going to be enough for you? Because you had Fauci come out yesterday and says he thinks that, you know, it's going to have to be an annual shot. Well, yeah, that's the that's the game plan. An annual shot, and yeah. that means an this annual. This is the fountain of money for them to keep drawing from. Yes, and he stays on TV. Of course, he stays relevant. The the cash register keeps ringing, yeah. and it's just a nonstop cycle, vicious cycle that will continue. Yeah. Do you think, based on what you saw now, because you had you had regular COVID nineteen, then you had the Delta variant, then then you had um, Omicron, were you able to detect at the hospital? The difference? No. So then how the hell does anybody know? How did you know that all of a sudden Delta is now here or – I'm sorry. You looked at my shit tattoo. I just saw you (laughs) glanced at it. You scumbag. I was trying to see what it was. I know. It's a bad one. I know. I got them too. (laughs) You know, you you do that. You see a lot of times when I go up to speak to a judge and, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, approach. Yeah. And I'd go up and I'd go and I'd be like this. Judge, I really – and it's like I see him look or she looks and I'm like, oh. I just do that. Why didn't I just do that with my right hand? Because then I got to explain how shit tattoo. It's no, I got a crappy one. On, I get on my, it. I saw you foot. look. I saw you give it a look, and, and you gave a wince. I saw <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's crazy how that is. It happens all the time. So, what was I? Where? Where was I? What was I trying to say though? What was I in the in, in the whole thing of? Oh, we were talking about the booster shot. Yeah. We're talking about money. Yeah. We're talking about all of that, but. What do you think? Oh, the Omicron, yeah. the Delta. That's what we were talking about. How is it that that they were able to determine? It? So can they just come out, say, say, in the midterms in September, right, right before the election? Oh, there's a new one that's out. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I mean, oh, it's when you at Stony Brook, if you just pull up a patient's chart and. There's the COVID test or whatever. It doesn't say like, oh, positive for Delta, positive for Omicron or whatever. It just says positive for COVID. So anyone that's like, oh, I had Delta or I had this, you don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea. Do you think that there's a different variant or, you know, based on your medical profession, in your opinion, do you think that there's variants? Viruses change. And I think what was happening in spring of 2020 is definitely a different virus or a different strength, if you will, than what's going on right now. Because you know why? We have herd immunity. People are starting to be able to get down. Absolutely. If I think every single person has had COVID at this point. I, I agree. I, I mean, I never was have. tested positive, but I, I would have to assume. Yeah. I mean, my daughter had it. She was asymptomatic, but she was with me. She had to get tested when she had to go back to college, and she had it. And we're, to- we're watching, you know, we're, we're watching Ozark. Yeah. She's sitting right next to me and we're doing it the whole time. And, and so I, I would assume that I had to have had it. But here's something that I want to I propose to you here. I want to, you know, set something up and then you tell me what you think, okay? okay? Just my opinion from what I read. I feel like I, I, you know, I do more reading on medical things than I've ever done in my whole life yeah. because of, you know, what, what's happening here. So you had COVID, regular COVID mm-hmm. that comes in, right? If there was never a vaccine, ever, right? In my opinion, 
it would come, you'd get COVID, it comes into your body and it flushes out, right? And that's it. I feel like there would be no Delta, there would be no Omicron, there would be nothing. You would eventually get some herd immunity or the people that eventually had COVID, they have some type of still natural immunity. And then if they get it again, then it's a less severe, obviously. Yeah. You know, and as you go, just like even with the shot, the you know, the longer the time that you had COVID, the less immunity that you may have. But your body may still remember it. So yeah. and I think that it would just be regular COVID throughout and it gets flushed. I mean COVID existed prior to two thousand nineteen. Yes. Yeah. I mean if you look at an old bottle of Lysol, it said on there it killed COVID. Yeah. So 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 that being said, then the vaccine comes out. And in my opinion, and again, I'm not a doctor, but that's where now that you have these, now you're inserting spike proteins and now regular COVID comes in and so it's not going to be naturally flushed throughout your system. And it starts seeing, oh, well, we have these blocks that are trying to prevent us from doing our job, the virus yeah. doing its what it's meant to do, go into your system, live off your body and do whatever. Well, now we have to find a figure out a different way because this vaccine is killing us in a way. And right there is the way a variant or a virus will mutate. Yeah, that's I mean, am I wrong on that? Oh, no, you're right. You never should be giving a vaccine during the peak of when this virus is out, because that's how it's going to learn how to mutate. Like you get the flu shot. If you believe that works, you get the flu shot before flu season starts. That's right. Yeah. You sit there and say, get your shot before flu, flu season's coming yeah. up, and you'll see it on CVS. You'll see yeah. it all out there. Yeah. You're going to get a, a vaccine that actually has no released, like, test, long-term testing or whatever in the middle of a, a pandemic, apparently? No thanks. Do you think, and I hope that it doesn't happen. I would never want to wish this upon anyone. But do you think that we're still at the infancy stage that we have no idea what this the long-term effects could be? Yeah. I think in the next few years or a few months, even, we're going to start seeing. Do you think that these the women that are getting these vaccines, do you think that they're going to have a problem? Conceiving? Know? Yes. Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah. When I went for um, my own OB check, the, one of the nurses was saying, like, she's seeing a lot of irregular periods or heavy bleeding or they've stopped getting their periods. And uh, she was another person that was like, I didn't want to get the vaccine, but, uh, you know, I needed my job. And I'm, I'm, I just look at these people and I, I feel bad, but I'm like, if everyone just stood up and said, I don't want it, that's it. I feel like this would have been nipped. It may have, but it now we have. see what we're seeing in Canada. We're seeing how these truckers are sitting there standing up and trying to do it. And you yeah, see and how this guy's Yeah, and they're lifting trying, mandates now. They're lifting mandates, but you see what this guy's trying to do, meaning Justin Trudeau, and he's uh, basically a tyrant. Yeah. And he's, you know, again, like we said, they wouldn't even allow Mike Lindell to come up there and help out. And, you know, and you start thinking to yourself, well, why wouldn't we do that somewhere here? And you would think that America would be the, the forefront of freedom and that we would do things. And I'm not saying that – I'm not blaming anyone because you don't see me sitting out there – you know, and doing it either. So I'm not, and I try to use my show as a forum to try to do that, but yeah. I'm still, I'm not taking pride that I'm not as active as maybe I should be. I mean, everyone can always be more active with stuff like that. I'm not going to every single protest. I'm not going to, you know, a lot of things because frankly, sometimes, and I think a lot of people are just getting tired of this. Yes. 
I agree with it's you. It's just with that. wearing people down, and you know what? Sometimes you just don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, when I go over to my mom's house, I'm like, what? What do people talk about prior to COVID? Like, yeah, I know. What is it now? Yeah. But everything's changed. Everything has changed. I mean, relationships with people have changed. Families have changed. Like when you were asking me before with my coworkers and stuff like that, um, I never really heard from anyone that I worked with after I got suspended. You know, I had like my a, a couple of people, like my two girlfriends, reached out to me. But like my my old my old manager, she texted me. It was like two or three weeks ago. And uh, hasn't said a boo to me. She was like, "Oh, um, my job, my job got posted on the Stony Brook website now." Um, oh, your position. My position got posted, even though I'm not technically fired yet. So she had these stones to text me and say, uh, "Hi, how are you? Do you think I could do your job?" Oh, really? I was like, uh, I wouldn't even want to reply to that. To oh be honest God! With you. It was one of those things where I just like I kept type writing it out, and then I'm looking at, it, I'm like, I don't want that in print. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. What about what about masks? What is your opinion on everybody having to wear masks? I mean, it, it's crazy to me that we're sitting in a airplane, right? Yeah, with recycled air. With recycled air, <laughs> with like sardines in a in a can. Yeah, and yet there's no time limit. You could, you know, here comes the food. Yeah, you take down your mask. Somebody has their mask off for say seven to ten minutes. Yet that's okay. If you take your mask off for longer, if, just so, just so you can hang out for a little bit, that's not okay. I mean, wouldn't if we're going to spread COVID for this? Wouldn't that seven to ten minutes, based on what you saw? Yeah. Wouldn't that spread out throughout the whole entire plane? Yeah. I and mean, these people your mask, these... the mask that you need to wear if you're truly concerned about an aerosolized COVID is an N95. Your cloth masks, your scarves, the same um, disposable surgical mask that you've had hanging from your car visor that's been heated up in the sun for yeah. how long, that's not really going to protect you from much. And the things that you've touched and then touched that and then put it back onto yeah. your face. Yeah, I mean, just the problem, no one has common sense anymore. Just like use your head. Like yeah. you're, unfortunately, your cooties are the same as my cooties. Yeah, I like, <laughs> So exactly. So, I mean, you think, though, so in your opinion, that these masks, it's stupid. It's maybe political theater yeah, at this point now. Absolutely. And, and what are we even doing with it? It's, it means it's not protecting you from COVID. Now, were you wear, was everyone during the peak wearing N95 masks? Or you we, had still an wear N we had an N95 mask and a surgical mask over it for another layer of protection. But, okay. you know, we also, when we were in patients' rooms, we had the gowns on um, when those were available. You know, we... We covered ourselves. What is it? What, so talk to me now moving forward. Here you are. Your job's in limbo, suspended. Yeah. You have an arbitration coming up. Probably doesn't look good. It's from what I'm hearing, because at this point, like, I, I don't want to call my lawyer because no news is good news. And I kind of it's out of sight, out of mind. And I, I would like to have like one day where I don't feel like I'm going to have like a mental breakdown over this. Because when you really start to sit and think about everything, it's it's overwhelming. But um, from what I've heard is you can either resign, and if you resign, those charges go away. They just pretend that never happened. Or you can go through with the arbitration, which, again, my lawyer said, unless you're a Christian scientist or 
a Muslim, I think it was, or a is, Muslim. Islam. I think Islam. Uh, um, so, so Islam is better than being a Christian or yeah. a Catholic. Well, because the Pope said, uh, everyone keeps saying, "Oh, the Pope said you can get the vaccine." Yeah. And uh, the Pope said that's. A, I mean, that's a whole different discussion. If right? we're really going to get into that, the, mm-hmm. yeah, the Pope. So. Well, I also want to like say like it's it's written all throughout Catholic dogma and Catholic practice. You have to use your conscience, and if it goes against your conscience, don't do it. So that vaccine is going against my conscience, and that is dogmatic of the Catholic Church. So I don't care if the Pope said you can get it. I don't worship the Pope. Yeah, I understand. I, so. Well, what are you going to do? For, what are you doing for work now? Uh, you got to pay the bills. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm working a, a medical coding job right now, remote from home, which is basically covering three quarters of my bills. I'm living off of what little savings I had. So you went from life is perfect. Life is perfect. And now I'm like, I'm not buying coffee creamer because it's too much money it's too i gotta much save money yeah, yeah like that uh that feta that i like to put in my salads uh, that's six dollars now thanks thanks biden yeah. so uh i'm gonna have to have a cheeseless like salad are you ever at the point though that you're sitting here saying All right, i'm gonna ride this out and hopefully that these mandates go away and i could go back or is it going to come to a point that you're going to say, I have to start a new profession and i'm gonna have to start doing something else and reinvent myself i'm i'm gonna have to reinvent myself it's, I'm never gonna be able to nurse in New York again if they're so strict with these mandates they won't even accept a religious exemption well, that's the other thing no too. one no one's religious exemption got accepted so why not resign can you do this why not resign you get all those charges taken away yeah. and then go move say down to West Palm Beach and then and and be a nurse down know, there and start, go, you're I, single you don't have children I know I go back and forth with like the idea of that and then you know, I could resign. I can move. But this I is hate, your life. You I know, live. You're, you're, I you're, 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 I'm you're, he- like, I'm here. I don't like, I, I hate what New York has turned into. I don't want to have to leave my family. Like, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't have like. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. But I, don't, I shouldn't have to give up everything because of your stupid rules. Well, here's the thing. Then, it's not American. It's not American. Somebody to tell you, we're taking away your livelihood yeah. And you don't have, unless you do this, you're done. Yeah. And added something to do with, <laughs> I'm putting this thing in my body. Yeah. I'm not I doing be, that. I couldn't be a nurse. And the number one thing for nursing is you advocate for your patients. I can't do that if I'm not advocating for myself. It's almost I- as if, how am I going to love someone if I don't love myself? Yeah. How am I going to advocate for you if I don't advocate for me? Yeah. Like, how are you going to be a swim coach if you don't know how to swim? Yeah. Or you've never been in, like, a body of water? It's the same thing. Or if, if you not... have some type of ethical boundaries, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I, I don't think that this is And that's pro- part of, like, why, you know, some days I do wake up and I'm like, I should just freaking resign and call it and just tap out and be done. And then there's other parts of me that I'm like, I don't want to because I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. You're just doing your job. I, when I, I told you to work nights. I'm following my religion. I am following my medical freedom. And the biggest thing for me is like, I, I'm not putting this in my body. 
It's not happening. There's aborted fetal cells that were used in the testing and production of this. It's not Which they happening. didn't tell anyone until after the fact. Yeah. You know what? Like this is a this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Like Good for you. No, you, seriously. I mean, there's not too many people like that. And you know, and you're risking it all. What okay, so what are you thinking about maybe doing different? <laughs> like are you thinking about opening up a business? Are you thinking about maybe going back to school and learning a different profession? You know, it's a catch 22 because, you know, to go to school, you need a, an exemption. And obviously exemptions haven't worked out too well for me with yeah, that. You know, I, too. you know, because the rules kept changing, especially in the beginning with that, the mandate. Um, I applied for the exemption and it got denied. But then there was a loophole and you could apply again. And I did. And they still got denied. I've applied for my religious exemption at Stony Brook four times. Four times. And four times they denied it. Four times they denied it. The first or the official time that they sent it certified, they sent it to an address that I didn't live in. They messed up everyone's religious exemption denials and they sent them to other employees um, with your medical information, your Stony Brook ID, your name, everything to another Stony Brook employee that may not have necessarily been unvaccinated. It's amazing. Yeah. It's it's really unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. What about, real quick here, before I let you go here, so you're single. Yes. How's dating, being unvaccinated <laughs> or with the vaccine and COVID, is, has that changed dramatically for you, you know, prior to COVID to what you have right now? Um, Especially now that you don't really have a job, too. Uh, uh, yeah, but like, I'm a... What are you doing? I'm a real winner right now. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, God. Um, it's, I have an arrow garden. That's about... That's all that's going for me right now. <laughs> I think... Um, I don't... I took a... I was dating someone for a little bit um, when the whole, like, mandate thing rolled down. And, you know, we broke up. I think we just had differences and opinions on things. And I wasn't going to go anywhere. I'm divorced, by the way. Um... Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, but, you know, but like dating, it's, I feel like I had my shot at marriage and uh, that didn't pan out. And I'm not looking for anything at this point. Like I have to be comfortable with being by myself because especially like if I enter a relationship, like I'm. First of all, you have to try to support yourself. Well, I have to support myself and stuff like, like I'm, it's not even like in my realm of like thinking right now, like. I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life before I could even entertain someone else. And even at that, like looking at what's out there, mm, no. What did you, <laughs> what's, your, what's your prediction here with COVID? Say, let's just say two years from now, right? If you had a crystal ball and you're the one who's, you know, whatever your opinion is, is, you know, everybody's going to go with. What would you think is going to be how America, the United States, or this world is two years from now with COVID? I think it's going to be an, a new disease. Oh, you don't. So you think they tapped into something that the register is just in my. And I agree. This is my opinion. Yeah. That they now know. Hey, listen. We could always. I think make COVID more and was more just money. a. I think COVID was a dry run to see what they could get away with and what they could push and people's limits and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I can't really predict anything. I mean, I wake up every morning and I'm like, what. You know, chapter of the apocalypse are we on today? Like, but I think COVID was the introduction into what the world is going to be like now. And is there anything that we didn't talk about or discuss or anything 
that happened at the hospital that you saw that you know you think people need to to know about that maybe I didn't ask or we didn't you know go down is there anything that that you know people will be like wow are you really kidding me this happened during covid or this really was going on that maybe people should know so people have an awareness of hey this is what they're doing to us or this is what they were doing I think uh there was it was just an extremely crazy time and I think the worst thing was I that think we you're didn't... not telling me the truth <laughs> I'm trying to like formulate a, I, I think that there's, I think that and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pry, try to pry it out of you yeah I, I respect your opinion and I respect that you're actually even here this is not what this is about but I don't but I also am about being truthful yeah and again you don't have to answer it if you don't want to but I think you saw probably something that you're still not telling us something that this hospital had been doing there's no way that from the things that I've read or maybe the rumors that I heard, I mean, there's nothing that you, you think that went on in that hospital during COVID that people would have no idea unless you're the one who's now going to say it. The way they tested. I mean, everyone was getting tested multiple times and they kept testing like that. That one patient that I was telling you about that was intertwined with my my pop up. We were testing him every other day. Are they getting money waiting, each test? Wait. Yeah, of course. Every test they're getting money because at that point we didn't have I don't think Stony Brook had the capability to run the test. So we in the beginning. So we were sending them out to like different labs and everything. Um, but every time you got swabbed, that's money. You know, the multiple medications that people were on, that's money. ECMO, we, so we only had three ECMO circuits in, in Stony Brook that were, um, that were used for COVID. And we had a list of patients that would potentially go on ECMO. And it was like a, a triaging type thing. And, um, but they would wait until the very last minute with these patients. Like you want to put someone on COVID when they don't necessarily have to be on COVID. I mean, on on ECMO, um, because you want to kind of cut it off at the pass. Um, and they would wait for these patients to have the breathing tube in for like two weeks when they haven't done a head CT. You don't know if there's like a anoxic brain injury at this point, or if their liver is shutting down, or it would be like a multi-system organ type failure, because you know we were giving medications that were nephrotoxic or toxic to the kidneys and stuff like that. Um, but why were they giving those medications if they, you know, why would they do that if it's not good for you? Are you saying because of money? So at that point, I, you know, like resfemidir, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, we were giving that, but, you know, at that point, like I said, we're running around like a chicken without the head off. Like, I'm not researching at work like what this is the doc says give it okay great like this is a, a medication that's supposed to help with covid and i didn't particularly see it work and already like these patients had a lot of other issues going on like i said when you got to my floor you don't want to see me like i'm not stop you want to make it the hospital because you're at like death's door at that point and we would put people on these medications but um and then all of a sudden they would end up having to go on continual dialysis after being on resfemidir or so you they thought, would get, you they would get blood clots do you, or do you think res, uh, how does it, how do resfemidir? You, yeah. Do you think that that actually were killing people? Yeah. 
Really? Isn't that Bill Gates's? I think that's Bill Gates's thing. It's. I think it's very interesting that the U.S. bought the entire supply from China back in the early 2019 prior to all of this. So you think remdesivir was definitely attributed to I think we had a huge COVID. I think we had a huge stockpile of it and I think that it was given out because we bought all of it and uh, it was known it's known to cause kidney issues. And that's what it was doing. Yeah. And what about ivermectin or say hydroxychloroquine? So or chloroquine, whatever how you pronounce it. But how, what about those? You know, were you guys ever administering that or is yes. that just a no? No, we were in the beginning. We were in the beginning. And Until Trump said he was using it. Yeah. It's, uh, we, I think we had, it was three different trials going on at that point where patients would get either just an antibiotic or they would get the hydrochloroquine or they would get the resfemidir and an antibiotic and um, all of them would get steroids. And all of a sudden, the hydrochloroquine went away. I'm like, why are we not doing that anymore? And then it was always the resfemidir and the steroids. And then I was noticing, like, that's when our patients really started, like, crapping out, too. And I'm like, what is this? Why are we, why are we giving this? It's not, it's not working. Should we be giving this earlier? Like, it just, it wasn't adding up. The, you know, listening to how you're saying all of this and what you're saying in regards to the administration of these medications it seems like it was a really sloppy job by the by these medical professionals yeah. giving this stuff and then continuously giving this stuff yeah and I mean, to even do a deep dive now into kind of doing like a retrospective study and everything because como said it's a state of emergency and you don't have to document anything like medical wise Good luck. Like, I, if you were, if you have a loved one that was in a hospital at any point during COVID, request their medical records and see what was actually documented. Because the second they said, <laughs> you don't really have to document that much. Nobody was documenting anything. No one was documenting anything. It's like the Wild West at the hospital. Uh, yeah. And in a court, they also, I think he said, too, you don't have the right to sue during that point, too. It's unbelievable. All these people. It's mind blowing. It's you had people that were you had residents that were in different specialties, you know, intubating and covering different units and stuff like that. I'm sorry, if I have a breathing tube in, I don't want a dentist coming in and playing with my ventilator. Yeah. I want you to do my root canal. That's about it. That's about it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It was it was a free for all and they let a lot of the it was a playground. It was a playground for people. And I think people lost sight of that that is a person that is someone's mother, their grandfather, their father, their brother laying in that bed. And they completely took medicine has nothing to do with people anymore. It is how do I turn a profit and how do I just write a script for you instead of getting to the root cause of things? It's terrible. Yeah. Medicine is not medicine anymore. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on and, and and sharing your story. If people wanted to get in touch with you or follow you as, uh, on social media, are you on Twitter? Are you on anything? Are you just totally in the dark right now? I Tinder, have... how, you know, can they get you on Tinder? <laughs> Hell no. Bum, a rumble, a bumble or whatever it is? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, am, I, I have Instagram, um, but that is just for the people that I actually know. Okay. Um, I respect I, that. Yeah. It's, I keep my circle small. And especially after the last two years, I don't 
need to add anything to it. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It was great. It was great talking to you. Thank and you so I would much. love for you to come on. You know, I hopefully you'll contact me when things you have some great news, a new job, a new career, or maybe back at the hospital, and I'd love for you to come back on again. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. And with that being said, if you get a chance, you could go on to follow us. This show will not be on YouTube. <laughs> this will be on Rumble. Also, we're streaming on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right. We're out. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, but that wraps it up for another edition of the Joe Cozo Show. <laughs>